0: everybody, and welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. This is the second episode in our special Artists During Quarantine series that we're doing. And today we're featuring the NEA jazz master Delphio Marsalis. We also have Marie LeClaire on the conversation. So the two of us talked to Delphio to hear more about his new album, Jazz Party. And it was a real pleasure hearing him talk about this. We also go in-depth about how he approaches his uptown jazz orchestra, the unique things that they do while they're on stage, uh, the unique ways they interact with each other, and most importantly, the unique ways in which they interact with the audience. I had an absolute pleasure speaking with Delphio, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. I have to make one correction. Um, At the beginning of the episode, we are talking about, well, I am talking about the fact that the Boston Marathon has been postponed, and I incorrectly referred to it as the 125th running, when 2020 is actually the 124th running. My apologies to all the runners this year, and I do hope you guys get to do the race um, in September, and hopefully it won't be rescheduled again. Thanks again for listening, everybody.
1: Delpio, Marie, welcome to the show, guys.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here. Sir Epstein, how are you?
1: You know, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. I was just telling you that today is Patriots Day in Boston, and that's supposed to be the marathon. I think it would have been the 125th consecutive running of it, but it has been rescheduled to September, uh, and hopefully they don't have to push it back after that. Well, oh, the good geez. news
2: though is that whenever it occurs, it will then be the 122nd. Is it consecutive?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking too. I mean, when did uh, wait? Sorry, <laughs> I think that just went over my head. I'm sorry.
2: No, you you said it was supposed to be the
1: which consecutive? <laughs> it, well, it's supposed to be the
2: 125th. 125th, right? Sorry. So. so.
1: Once Whenever they have it, it will
2: be the 125th
1: consecutive running. Exactly. Just not <laughs> for this time of year, but that's okay. <laughs> but I think you're experiencing something similar in New Orleans with the Jazz Fest. Um, it has been pushed back to the to the fall.
2: Uh, Jazz Fest is, I believe, yeah, pushed back to next year. So we're going to skip this year altogether.
1: Uh, oh, okay. Was there, was there a... Was it in the fall at one point? Or maybe I'm not remembering correctly. I guess I didn't hear correctly.
2: Right. Well, there's the French Quarter Festival, which was moved Mm -hmm. to October. And there was speculation that the Jazz Festival would also be moved. But uh, they just decided to cancel. Pretty much they're canceling everything for this year. And I guess just going to regroup
1: and try to plan on next year. Right. Right yeah there's so many questions right now about what sizes of groups are going to be able to function in the next six months, and nobody nobody really knows and and especially if if it's going to be left up to the state, then you're everybody's gonna be sort of on their own as far as what 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 they're able to do um I've been having a lot of conversations with presenters these past few weeks, and everybody is trying to figure everything out and one thing that's becoming clear is if you're Managing a thousand feet or a three thousand feet or whatever size theater, and you're only allowed to have, you know, pick a number, two hundred people maybe at a time. Maybe that. Maybe not that. What do you do? Do right. you have an artist do five shows in a night <laughs> to, to sudden, right. you know, to get up to to, to get up to a um, thousand? So, people are really trying to figure things out right now. It's it's very difficult, as you guys know.
2: Five shows and maybe shorter shows. That's like old school that a lot of the jazz clubs would play 45-minute sets. And uh so there were more of those. I don't know if it was quite five. Yeah, it might have been 45-minute shows. So maybe we'll see a reduction in the, the length of the shows and then, you know, more shows that way. Uh Or the other thing is just to accept, you know, that the, uh, the smaller number of people in in the venue. You know, and obviously it's not always ideal, but, uh, you know, things change and adaptability
1: is something that we have to have. Right. Well, also, you know, I was thinking about this because when uh, when TV came out, everybody said, oh, that's the end of radio, but radio is still more popular than ever. And then when, when uh, Netflix came out, everybody said, oh, that's the end of movies, but movies are more popular than ever. So I don't mm-hmm. think... You know, I don't think people need to panic and worry that with live streaming, live music is going out the window. I think what will happen is people want both. They're going to want the option to go see a live show, but they're also going to want to be able to click online and see the show as well.
3: Someone who I was speaking to who has a 900-seat theater was saying that they were exploring the possibility of doing that, just doing – selling fewer tickets, but then also having – like, do you guys remember years ago you know i don't i i'm, I'm sure- I don't think it exists anywhere that pay per view you know like you could like certain boxing matches and mm-hmm. concerts and stuff that you could pay your cable provider to see a particular live event um so they were talking about maybe that would be an option because they wouldn't be able to sell as many tickets um but maybe for a fee you could pay to watch it online it wouldn't necessarily be like a free. You know live streaming things, but as another way to sort of make up the revenue for whatever fees they're paying the musicians
2: well if this this whole uh pandemic has shown us anything, it is the major difference between actually experiencing a show live in person and streaming or seeing it's just it's such a different experience uh when you're mm-hmm. watching this computer and you're seeing and you're hearing things whereas when you're actually there, emotionally, how it moves you. And so I think for sure that uh, I don't think we're at risk of losing the audiences. The main thing is that people have to feel that it's a safe environment and that we've somehow managed to get this this whole pandemic under control. The uh, big question is when is that going to happen, but I would imagine it's going to be a major form of, I guess, like cabin fever where folks are just so ready to, Get out and experience things that touch them uh, emotionally, especially music that really means something to them. That we'll see. Uh, I think it, it'll be a, a great growth in uh, live performance of people. What do we say? Audiences in live performances. Once the whole pandemic is under
1: control. Yeah, I agree. What 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 is it like uh, in New Orleans? As far as are you still hearing music? Sort of from musicians in their homes, on the streets? I mean, to the best extent that people could do that safely, is there, do you still have a sense of that community there, even though people can't go to a club?
2: Well, there's a, a tuba player down the street, and I think I've heard him practice two or three times really loud out in the street. Um, and there's a, a homeless guy who has a saxophone, and he uh, he's still at it, you know, he's... <laughs> That's what he does. But I'm not in an area like I don't have a, a lot of musicians living within, you know, a three or four block radius where I would know if they're practicing, if they're playing. But, uh, that, you know, I've seen some videos of, of guys that are outside and they have the track going and they're playing. So I, I think that's going on. But, uh, you know, again, it's, it's just not
1: quite the same. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked actually is because I was watching a live stream last night of the the singer Cat Edmondson was doing a live stream from her from her from her apartment in Brooklyn. But she started it with her. She was kind of by her window, and the window was open, and she was explaining to everybody at this time at that time of night in her neighborhood, um, all of the, like a lot of her neighbors are just kind of expressing their. I guess for lack of a better word, expressing themselves musically, even if they don't have instruments, you could hear people banging on pots and pans and just kind of shouting to each other and, but, but you know, in a completely positive, um, oh yeah, way. And in I New York I a, City,
3: it's, it's yeah. every it's every night in New York City
1: at seven o'clock. That's that's been going on since the social distancing.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it, but it's all New York City. it's, all, it's at seven o'clock
1: every that's night. I idea. hear it.
3: Yeah.
1: That's pretty cool. And yeah, a few nights ago. Here. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Here either. Oh. Yeah, no, and a few nights ago there was a group that got together with one of the radio stations and they were playing New York, New York on the radio for people to sing along to out the windows out their windows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. It's hard <laughs> <laughs> I hope you were singing loudly, Marie.
3: Uh, no. But um, but I stuck my head out the bathroom window for a couple of minutes and I was like, wow, my neighbors really can't sing, but that's nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Delphio, uh, just to kind of refocus our conversation here, I definitely wanted to have you talk about Jazz Party, your new album, and um, tell people what this album is about, what, how, what the conception of it was, and um, let's just have you kind of take the reins on that and go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the, the, we've
1: been grappling as jazz
2: artists and jazz educators for years with what I term the, the the more the Western approach and the Eastern approach. And by that, I mean that the Eastern approach is more for things to have a practical use. And the Western is more from a, a, an analytical standpoint of view, or so, for example, you know, you, some places in Africa, they don't want necessarily art to hang on the walls. They want art that has a social significance and that they have a belief in. It's something if it's about, you know, a, a bountiful, bountiful crops, or you know, a certain kind of an offering up to to the heavens, or and then sometimes. When we study the Western idea is more of preservation, so we want to have paintings, put them on the walls. Oh, yeah, this is a great painting. And in music, how that translates in jazz is sometimes the performers are not in contact with the audiences so much. It's more, I want to perfect my craft and then present it. And if the audience likes it, that's fine, but it's more important that they respect my artistry. And the whole idea of jazz from its inception, it was a music for the people, for the audiences. It was not, and I guess that's how all the music started off. Even in the European tradition, the music started off either in the church or it was secular. So it was either, you know, for sacred purposes or, you know, maybe you got these guys who were, uh, who were the guys, the Renaissance singers, and they would go around with the lutes singing love songs. You know, the to, I guess, you know, so it had that kind of an element that turned into this kind of a situation where you, you just sit in the concert hall, you watch, you listen, then everything is over, you clap. So it's like the jazz artists, I think we're struggling with, do we want that approach or do we want the approach more from the islands? Like, you know, Pedrito Martinez, for example, if people just sit there and don't engage audiences i think that's disappointing to him and his performance is such where you're getting up and dancing and you're participating so the audience has an opportunity to participate the idea with jazz party is that everybody's part of the party so it's it's not just the musicians having a good time but we invite the audience to participate with us but you know in new orleans we have a decided advantage from the standpoint of a couple of things first is we often play in front of audiences, and there's an entertaining element. And it doesn't matter what the, the show is. If you're playing, you know, uh, straight ahead, you're playing swing, you're playing modern, you're playing the brass band, you're playing the top forty. Like, there's always that element of entertainment. Also, the advantage is that we grew up hearing the sound of the brass band in the streets, and that even if you don't know, play, and if you never play in a brass band you have that sound, that's one of of joy and celebration, and it's a party, and you know that that's happening. So what we wanted to do with Jazz Party was bring that, that indigenous New Orleans sound to modern jazz. So we're mixing all that. And my belief is that the jazz musician of the future will be able to play convincingly many styles, starting with the early 1900s and up to what's being played today. Uh, you know, on the radio or things that you hear in the, the popular arena. So that's what we try to, you know, Without well, the big thing of it. Like, oh, we don't like to define our music, but it's actually the truth. So sometimes people come to the show and they say, man, I never knew jazz sounded like this. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's just one of those things. And I'm saying, you know, jazz can really almost sound like anything if you understand the roots of it and you hook it up a certain kind of way. And that's what we're doing.
1: I've had the benefit, um, and Marie has probably had this experience too with the show. But what I was going to mention is seeing two completely different, um, two completely different settings for the Uptown Jazz Orchestra. One was at the Hartford Jazz Festival, which is a massive outdoor festival on a big stage in front of thousands and thousands of people. But the other context was at a very, very small club in New York. And what struck me was, um, the ability of your musicians to play to the setting, and before we got cut off, you mentioned the quote from Baby Dodds, but that resonated with me because in the smaller setting, you guys were so sensitive to the uh, to it being a smaller setting, and there was the sound was just amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how many people told me they couldn't believe how good it sounded in there.
3: Uh-huh. And
1: the wider or, or the um, the bigger setting for the festival, obviously, the band knew how to uh project as needed, but that was that's something you don't really see that or get to hear that often a band being able to adapt just so perfectly to two different completely different settings and in either case the what you were describing wasn't lost the the um sort of the the party aspect of it the way you want the audience to be a part of it it worked in both settings, so I thought that was really cool and, and worth mentioning right well all of it and, came from me- the Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, sorry, All of it stems from brass
2: band sound, and you know, I have a number of players, especially Roger Lewis, the Dirty Old Man, and he was the founding father of the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, and he's been playing music for 60 plus years of his life. You know, he's in his late 70s, but he got the backbone of, of the group, and he plays us so much passion and energy that everybody loves, everybody loves the Dirty Old Man.
1: <laughs> yes, they do. Yes. <laughs> you know, but so
2: so for example, when we play when we play festivals now, um, we almost do any what you would say the softer side of of jazz or that particular way because it's an outdoor setting, it's lots of people, and you have to bring the energy a different way. So we still want to have the variety, but when we come out, we come out hard here. Like we know, if we in, in New Orleans, that's how folks play. But if you're in a, a jazz club or a smaller setting, then it's really wonderful because then the, the audience gets to experience, you know, it's almost like a, a eight or ten course meal. So we might start off with the energy, the energetic brass band song, then we go to something that's swing. Then we can play something that's soft, really soft. And it requires a lot of control, but also an understanding and to have a certain sensibility on the instruments. And then we can feature everybody so you know we think about all of this and when we're playing outdoor festivals that's the main thing is see maybe we got to keep that energy high all of the time you know for if it's 75 minutes 75 minutes of high energy you know and it's 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 not an easy thing we might still play maybe one ballad but uh you know again that's something that is unique to and then sometimes we might play a venue that's somewhere in between so, for example, we played a, a, in Pinecrest, and that's the venue that's somewhere between the, the club setting and the, you know, the Alba
1: How much of your set would you say is informed by the individual musicians in the band? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess what I'm wondering is when people think about a large jazz ensemble, they have a lot of references that come to mind. They might think about anything from how Duke Ellington wrote for his ensemble. They might think about um, something completely different or completely more modern. But what I'm wondering is because your band has some of these musicians in it that have so much experience. You mentioned Dirty Old Man. There's other musicians in the band as well. I'm just wondering, do you write and arrange for the specific people in your band or how do you approach doing that for the set of music that you put on? Right. We have certain types
2: of arrangements, but for me, the most important thing is is understanding what I'd like to accomplish emotionally from the audience. What do I want to happen emotionally? And then I know the musicians who can give me that. So, for example, Roger Lewis, if he's on the gig, he always solos first. He's like, you know, one of the great opening pitchers. Like, you know... Uh that that strike is coming down the middle of the plate when he gets the ball. That's just what's going to happen. So if Roger's on the gate, he's always soloing first. Uh, Now, if he's not on, then we have a fellow by the name of Roderick Paulin. We need a New Orleans guy because the New Orleans guys know how to open up the show with a certain kind of of charisma and and flair. Uh, And then after that, for example, I say, okay, now we're going to play something maybe that's swinging. Then we have, for example, uh, Kyrie Allen Lee is our lead alto saxophonist. Andrew Bayham is a trumpet player, and they're well-versed. So it's like the second song is important, too, because, okay, the people are worked up, a lot of energy on the first song. Uh, the second song is as important because now it's like, okay, where is this going to go? That's really when the audience decides, you know, that's when you let the audience know who you are and what you actually do. At that point, so that you know, it's just very important. So, for example, we might have a, a vocal song on the second, on the first song. We almost will never have a vocal the second song. Now that I think about I hadn't thought of that. But a vocal usually on the first song. Then we play a swing song. That'll be probably the song that I play on. I very seldom solo on the first song. You know, I let 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 the the band set that up, and then we carry out and leave there. Andrew Bayham, depending on whether or not they solo and then kind of depends on where the audience is will then depend on what we're going to do third. now again if we're at a festival then it's going to be probably three New Orleans songs in a row and then something funky something you know upbeat like from our first CD back to Africa is a very energetic song that it works well a lot of you know high energy uh, so anyway to to answer the song directly it's a combination of the arrangements that are made for specific positions, but also the song selection, knowing who is going to put us where we need to be emotionally at that particular moment in that song.
1: Well, I think it's worth mentioning too, that you're able to create an emotional connection even before you guys step onto the stage, just by nature of the way the, the show begins with the band coming through whatever the setting has uh, happens to be, whether you're able to come down through the audience or mix with the audience, but either way, playing uh, your instruments as you guys actually walk on the stage. I think that really tells people, okay, we're in for something different and exciting here. Most bands or most um, shows that people are seeing, they're not starting that way. And I think that really sets you guys apart in a great way. Yeah, and again, you think jazz orchestra is okay, what is this? Okay, these guys are sitting down, they're reading music.
2: And it's just it's just kind of yeah, we're caught up to our jazz orchestra, we we combine that brass band that's a brass band thing. Guys are walking around with the instruments and uh usually that's how we prefer to set up. We prefer to set up where we're all standing up like in the front line as opposed to, you know, the typical saxophones are in the front sitting down and the trombones are behind them and then the trumpets. You know, that that for us, it's harder for us to really to to bring out the kind of energy that we like when we're set up like that you know occasionally depending on the the size of the the room we'll do that but uh you know our thing is just just to have that energy and excitement and you know we have guys in the band that are really they love music they love playing and
1: that is the most important aspect i was thinking about this marie you've had the the, uh you've had the opportunity to to see the band at their home base in new orleans at Mm snug harbor What, what was that experience like
3: um, what was interesting cuz it, it was my first time seeing the band live myself, um, and it was really interesting watching the audience because I was sort of standing in the back, and it was, well, and, I, and then I remember at some point, Dirty Old Man got off the stage and started dancing with people, and I was standing there just going, please don't come all the way back here. <laughs> 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 um, but it's it's it, it was interesting to see that even before they started people it seems to me at least that people who are there to see the band before the band even starts coming out um, are they're there because it's like it's it's sort of like they're already there wanting to have a good time so it's sort of like um, because it's a much more relaxed atmosphere than even, I would say, like a jazz club in New York. Um, it, it, there's just such a different vibe to it. And, um, I would say that's like, um, so I think that, uh, how the band starts the show and, and enters the room and everything, I think it's sort of necessary because the people sitting there are really hungry for it and expecting, like, um, they're, and they're expecting that party. I think that's kind of like the, the vibe that, at least that was what I observed. Um, and I just remember that by the end of the night my face hurt from like laughing and from smiling so much because it was almost as much fun watching the audience as it was watching the band.
2: Yeah, and that Dirty Old Man, I mean, that, when we play that, the whole set when Roger is playing centers on finishing with that song, Dirty Old Man, because that's just, he just, mm-hmm. that's the crowd You know, that's like the song that everybody wants to, to experience and to be a part of and uh, so that that's the thing for us is to try to, to take down the mystique of like you have some mystique because jazz again it's it, there's a mystique to it and I always tell the musicians you know when we're not singing we're playing abstract music it's abstract to people because we're soloing uh-huh. and they don't there's no words to kind of say oh this is a love song or this is about lost love they're requiring on on us in how we play and our understanding of making that happen instrumentally with our instruments you know so it's uh you know it's it's a a great challenge but for us the variety of music is i think really what is captivating because you have again the New Orleans sound you have the swing sound then we might play something like Mingus, like the raid on the Mingus House Party, where you have just you know controlled chaos and ten different melodies going on at the same time, so that's an example, and then from that, maybe we do something that's maybe old school soft like a old soft choose song or all of me a nice standard so it's it's fun to juxtapose those different ideas, so you no know, we uh mm-hmm. That's our whole thing is is from an entertainment standpoint of view, and we also look around and we're saying, man, what do people really? And that's what people they really need something that's 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 kind of fun, family oriented, and entertaining. You know, that's kind of where the country the country needs things to let them know. They need music to let them know, man, everything is gonna be cool. You know, that's just I think it's very important to have that. And sometimes you go to a musician show, and man, it's it's it could be complicated and it could be well rehearsed and well studied, but from an emotional standpoint of view, the, the you know the audience is like, yeah, we liked it, we enjoyed it. We're like, we want to play something that y'all love. We want you to know that we're
1: here for you, and that's just that's the New Orleans thing. Well, I'm also – I'm I'm very confident that the show that you guys put on is, is entirely accessible. And I think if you're in a situation for an audience who may have not – they may not know what they're in for. They may – you know, they might be there because a friend brought them along, or you might be performing at a performing arts center that has a subscription series, and people have a subscription to the entire series, and they've decided to come to this because um, – you know, they—I don't know—for whatever reason, but they don't really know what they're getting into. But I'm pretty confident that every time you guys do your show, it is—it is so nothing is lost on the audience. It's very accessible, and even though there is improvisation, um, there is nothing. I don't think it comes across as abstract. I mean, I I completely get your point that for people who don't have the ear for it or the understanding of what improvisation is, it, it absolutely can be abstract. But the way you guys present it. I just want to hit home the point. It's, it's very accessible. And I and I know the audience reactions that you're getting prove that.
2: Well, but the other part of that is, when I say it's abstract, you have a song like Back to Africa. Sometimes you need that. You know, we play, we played, just to give you an example, talking about accessible, we played a fundraiser here in New Orleans. It was at the World War II Museum. And the there was a request from... The the person that booked us and they said they just wanted you know a New Orleans tunes to keep people in a good mood and standards. We were like okay cool so we, we're playing playing when the Saints and Second Line and uh, Take the A Train and all of me so we we did the, the set and as the night got on uh, you know and things loosened up the the person comes up and they said you know you know y'all can open it up a little bit. So we were like, cool. I mean, we had played Mr. Magic and A Chameleon, Watermelon, you know, just all the, the hit songs that people enjoy when they're at these types of events. So it's like coming on the last song, and I'm like, Back to Africa, so the second or last song. So the people have been up to that point, they've been hearing everything that's diatonic and it's accessible. And man, we're just going at it. And it's just one of those things where the rhythm is really strong and it's energetic and the sax player is doing this thing and a players. And so the people, (laughs) so two things happened. The people who were talking, I could see that they were making their way closer to the door and further away from the (laughs) band. But there were other people who who had just finished dancing to whatever we played, probably a, a, a funk tune. And they were like watching this, and they were looking at it, and they were like, I could tell they were like, man. And one of the guys that worked with the sound crew, when we finished the performance, he said, he came up, he said, man, bro, what was that last song y'all played? And he said, the second last song, because we always end up, I think, with uh, with Wonderful Girl. He said, what what was that song y'all played? And man, I don't know what was happening, but I know something was happening man, it just, <laughs> man, that was off the chin. <laughs> that's kind of, the kind of 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 uh, a response that we're looking for. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, okay, now, and it, as I described it, now we're all going into the abyss. And when we're up in that abyss, you're just like, hold on. Uh, but to me, <laughs> that, to me, that is really something that's exciting for individuals. Because, you know, again, if we're playing... The Duke Ellington standard, the songs that everybody knows, you know, people will like that but it's also our responsibility and the reason we practice and we work on our music to bring the audience somewhere where they're not going to be able to go and that is one of the, the advantages if you're you know a musician and we're studying all these years for that whereas if you go to you know a different kind maybe it's a vocal and it's a popular concert it's a pop, pop music, you even know what that is, and you love it, audiences love it, because they know exactly what it's going to be. You know, and there's a consistency to it. Whereas with jazz, you have to not only have the consistency and the popularity, but you, to me, you want to bring the audience somewhere that's unexpected, and then resolve it. See. It's still going to be cool.
1: Well, and that's just it. I mean, if your description there doesn't get people... Excited or curious to see this? I don't know what would, because that—that's the essence of it. It's—it's it's a very exciting show.
3: Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. I've—I've I've heard from more than a few um, presenters. Even there was one in particular where I was working, because I was advancing this gig for Delphio, and I was working with the woman who was the like technical, you know, person running all of the like the production aspects of, at the the venue. And she made a point ahead of time to tell me that I should pass on to Delphio that their audience is notoriously stoic and that these bands shouldn't take it personally if they don't seem very excited or very interested. And then it was halfway through the show, and she started texting me. She goes, I can't believe it, but they're all standing on their feet and dancing. I'm sure like I've never seen this before.
2: <laughs> right. That was Moorhead, Minnesota. Oh yeah, I remember right. That was that's yeah. close to uh to uh oh man, what is it? Fargo. Fargo, North Dakota.
1: Yeah. 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 And but the, I mean, the
3: folks in Pinecrest said the same thing.
1: Well, I was going to say it's you right. guys have the ability to get people dancing who would normally not dance, maybe shouldn't be dancing, but they just can't help themselves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and the it other part of that literally breaks
1: pulling it out of them.
2: <laughs> you know, jazz is—it's it's an interesting thing, and you know, jazz has gotten kind of a—not a, always gotten a good—a good rap for good reason and bad reason. You know, people expect one thing or certain things from jazz. So they wouldn't expect, I'm going to this jazz concert, they're gonna have me up dancing and singing and having a good time. In fact, okay, there's gonna be a certain type of artistry and proficiency. And you know, my take on it is that, that jazz can be all of these, jazz is everything, it's real life. So you could go to, for example, the great thing about the way my dad played on his shows is that he was not one to be about that, type of entertainment and he played what he played. He grew up in, you know, what they call the Bebop era and right after Bebop. And that's what he did. And he was a great example of a master musician. And when you went to his shows, you were expecting and you were experiencing a different kind of thing. Here is a master craftsman and he just plays his piano and it's a great thing. And that's the great thing about the is you can go to a show like that, or you can come to our show. It has totally different. You might have, you know, a show like the way that trombone Shorty plays, which is just rock, or someone like you know Kermit Ruffins who's doing his version of the Louis Armstrong song. So here in New Orleans, you could hear all these different styles, and it works. And actually, we played a festival once and. I was playing music of Arnett Coleman, quartet. Um, So with no piano and I was laughing because they opened it up, opened the show with a fellow by the name of uh, Jeremy Davenport and he's singing, you know, like the crooner music. And then they come to our band. So you got kind of the, the Frank Sinatra sound and now you have Arnett Coleman, which is completely different. And then right after that, we have Kermit Ruffin and he's, you know, singing his reefer songs and this <laughs> this celebratory thing. And it's like only in New Orleans, only in New Orleans would you have, you know, in that close proximity, that disparate or that kind of range of music. And for us, man, it's all cool. It's all, and I, I can't really express how great that is. Like we could go with the brass band guys and respect what they're doing and they have respect for what we're doing. And we can all come together and play and make it
1: work out. So uh, that's what we did. Yeah, that's so great. Is there anything we haven't covered about the new album or the band that is worth mentioning while we have the chance? So the idea with Jazz Party
2: was that all of the music was going to represent like a party environment or something that was really about social interaction. So we start off with jazz Party, and of course that's the venerable Tanya boy Cannon is singing that. And you know, it's just a, it's like a gospel-flavored tune. We got- So it's real like easy going, like we're gonna have a jazz party all night long. So come on out, we're gonna have a good time. And then from there we go to the Blackbird Special and that's one of the great Dirty Dozen brass band songs. And it's really great because it's it's a high energy song, but also they use some of the riffs that you would equate with the James Brown band, James Brown, the J.B. Horn. Blackbird Special is a song that you hear you know like concert bands play that song so it, any any band loves to play the Cypress special and then from there we go to Seven Ward Boogaloo and that's a tune where our drummer Joe Dyson Jr. is he's kind of combining what you would hear on the radio as far as the drum rhythm he's combining that with what we would consider the jazz boogaloo sound so that's something that we're always trying to figure out how, how can we incorporate what the youngsters are playing and what they're doing and that's a good example. Then we get to the radar on the Mingus House Party. Now that's the one, it's just real chaos, it's chaotic. And that's the idea. And what I said is, what I noticed is when we're watching CNN or Fox News or a lot of times ESPN, we're constantly inundated with more information than we can handle. So I said, how can we put this in a song? Because that's just where we are today in our society. There's things coming at you from every direction. And that's the way the Mingus House Party is just... That's one of the the, the, the favorite people like that because, like my man said, you know something is going on. Even if you don't know what, you know something is happening on that song. Now the song, uh, Emboya's Midnight Cocktail, of course, is dedicated to my younger brother, Emboya. And uh, I really love that. It's my favorite song. Because there's uh, a narration, and the idea is that, you know, we're at the bar and it's, it's late, it's half an hours, and the bartender is, in a sense, uh, coming on to my brother. And he is, of course, nonverbal. And the, the rules of the song is that she takes his being nonverbal like he's playing hard to get. So. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, she's delivering the lines like, oh, you know, she's conjuring, there's a whole thing that she's conjuring in her mind what's going on in his mind. So that's kind of, that's <laughs> that's really, yeah, that kind of really kind of captures my sense of humor. I think yeah. that boy, has been like, I uh, So, <laughs> audience is a song by Dr. Braxton Miller, and that's the party song. That's the party song of the record. And he's describing what it's like to be from New Orleans. And of course, we got Roger Lewis, and he's playing that exact sax, baritone saxophone sound. Uh, and that's really a fun song.
0: I'm so New Orleans. We like syncopated beats with uptown grooves. Ooh. When you hear that big bass drum, yeah, you can't help but move. I'm so New Orleans, from the West Bank to the East. No matter where you live, drop that beat, we both jump in the street.
2: Doctor Hargrove is our tribute to the great Mr. Hargrove who, you know, unfortunately passed on last year, or maybe at this point the year before. But uh, he was really, really one great trumpeter of his time, and he really played with a certain kind of intellectual curiosity and and a spirit that I hope to to have uh, captured in that particular song. And I, of course, one of the few people who actually, Roy, played in my band. Like, Roy came up by the time he was 19, he had his armband he didn't play have a lot of folks <laughs> he was under their tutelage, but uh, really a great musician um get your mind be free and that's another one of our brass band specialties that comes from the soul rebels and uh again it's just that energy of the brass band you won't hear any other jazz orchestra playing with that kind of energy where we could go out on the street and challenge a lot of the guys out here playing and we go straight from that to the Irish Whiskey Blues. That's an old jump blues. That's really our specialty. And the jump blues, as you can imagine, the jump, it's a certain kind of dance. And it has that dance element for the whole thing. And I love this song because it comes straight out swinging, swinging hard and through the whole song. Uh, I added a, a middle section, which is a tribute to Kenny Kirkland. So we goes from the, the older style swing or jump into more of what you would consider a modern. So the saxophone solos over a modern section. So that's a good example of how we're, we're blending all the different styles.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, of course, the Caribbean saxophone is uh, a brass band tribute to the sounds of the Chaldean written by trombone shorty's older brother james andrews who is a great trumpeter they call him 12 and then of course we close out with the instrumental version of the boy's midnight cocktail and that's how you want to end every party get nice and relaxed and laid back and it's time to go home that's it <laughs> so that's the- thank, thank the- you for
1: going through the album i mean this is this is really great and um anybody who's with any presenters who are listening to this has not heard the album yet we're going to make sure that they get a chance to listen and we'll send them a link um because this is something really special thank you for taking all the time and effort to just put this together and pull it off it's i I hope you're proud of the work you put into it oh yeah what you're talking about this podcast or the cd (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm proud of the work I've put into the podcast. You should be proud of the work you put into the music. <laughs> okay,
2: well, <good. laughs> I make great CDs. That's what I do. I, make yeah. I do, you know, that's what I do. So, like I said, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm gearing up for the next one. Yeah. Well, thanks again. All right, bro, and uh, yeah, we'll keep this thing going, and
1: I'll talk to y'all later. All right, take care, guys. So, Bye. 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 Bye.